been to you in life? What's the most um, out, outlandish or, or uh, incredible um, picture or act um, or gesture of generosity that you've received or that you've, that you've witnessed in your life? Um, maybe that's come from somebody in this room. Maybe um, you can think about uh, the, the generosity that you've received from, from others in, in this church or, or, or previous churches. Um, and I, that, those examples come to mind for me as well. I think about as well, um, and maybe you can relate to experiences that you look back now if you're an adult or maybe you're experiencing now if you're a kid, um, the, way, uh, the way that your parents were generous to you or, that, or the way that, ways that they are generous to you. Um, when, when I was a kid, I always loved uh, cricket, and so when it was time for me to join up um, and, and play as, as a young uh, boy, my parents were keen as well, but that involved a lot, a lot of hours of travelling, uh, a, a lot of half days or full days sat on the, the edge of a, um, of a cricket oval, uh, or in, or in the next room if I was doing music lessons and things like that. Um, who do you think about who, is, um, who has been generous to you or who is generous to you now with their, with their time or their energy, their attention or their words or their wisdom? Uh, I'm sure you can, you can think of somebody who um, you know that, that whenever you have time to sit down and, and chat with them or, um, or interact with them that they are... Um, incredibly generous with their presence and with their time and with their attention. Um, generosity seems to be one of those one of those virtues that is still somewhat in fashion, even in our culture. And so I'm sure you can um, think of someone. Uh, and how do you respond to that generosity? What what sort of ways do you feel uh, natural in responding? Sometimes sometimes we can we can choose um, not to respond, but that definitely leaves a bit of a sense of something missing, doesn't it, when we don't respond to generosity around us. We, uh, we understand, we get, I think we get intuitively that generosity is to be responded to. Uh, it it can't, can't be paid back, since then it wouldn't be um, generosity, would it? But it is natural to want to receive an act of generosity with enjoyment and uh, with thankfulness or with some kind of other response, whether that's made explicit um, or not. Do you think of God as being generous to you? Uh, I don't mean in a, in a general sense, but specifically for you today, here, in this place, in this season uh, of life, do you think of God as being generous to you? Has God been generous to you? Um, is he now being generous to you? Will he be generous to you in the future? How would you respond to these questions? Can, can certainly be easy to grow forgetful of God's generous acts, or maybe you find it easier to hold on to past examples of God's generosity, um, but maybe you find it harder to point towards uh, examples of God's generosity in your life today. Maybe we know in our heads um, of how God is generous, but we might struggle to experience or, or feel this in our hearts. I pray um, that as we go through the chapter today in Deuteronomy that you, that you will be reminded and encouraged that we follow uh, a generous God. Uh, we're looking at chapter 26 and just as a, as a recap of where we are, the, 
the Israelites, um, God's people, are just about to enter the promised land. And so we've been um, going through a couple of sermons um, of Moses. We're in his second sermon in, in the book of Deuteronomy, um, which is from chapters 12 to, to 26. And it expands on and fleshes out all of the ways that the Israelites are to live as God's people in, in the land, in the promised land that he is giving to them. Living as God's people means following his ways uh, and living with him as their authority, with him as their God. So the chapter that we're in today, chapter 26, is the end of Moses' sermon. Uh, and so, end of, end of this sermon, this second sermon. And so it's appropriate that whilst we, uh, we have been covering pretty broad sections of this sermon so far, and we're narrowing our focus down to just this one chapter as Moses concludes. In the previous chapters, Moses has been uh, very clear and firm, hasn't he, about what it means for the Israelites to live as God's people. From how they worship to what they eat, uh, what their leaders are like and how they function, how to live justly, how to love and care for each other, uh, all of that has been not just important for how they're to live uh, in the land, but really radical in comparison to how their neighbouring nations and their previous oppressors in the Egyptians would have lived as well. And so now we come to Moses' uh, closing remarks, the final statements on how God's people um, are to live in this sermon. So I think it's right that we take note of where he chooses to take this sermon, the, the direction that he takes this in. We're going to see um, in this passage that, uh, that God's people get to enjoy and declare the abundant generosity of a giving God. So God's people get to enjoy and declare the abundant generosity of a giving God. And because God has been abundantly generous to us, we can now respond in joyful worship, obedience, and belonging to him as his people. So, uh, yeah, I'd encourage you to have your Bibles open in Deuteronomy chapter 26. Um, if you have them there, or you can grab one um, from up on the back table as well. We'll be flicking through uh, in, a, in a couple of moments to, to First Peter and to Titus as well. So, um, Keep a finger in those as well, but now just um, just sitting in, in chapter 26. So, yeah, we're going to see that God's people get to enjoy and declare the abundant generosity of a giving God, and that starts with remembering and rejoicing in what God has done with a simple offering. We see that uh, in verses 1 to 11. So see there from, from verse 1, and as I read it, notice how many times Moses mentions that the Lord is the one who is giving them the land. Uh, verse, verse 1 to 3, I'll read. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket. And you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. So the people are to take some of the first of their harvest um, to the tabernacle or the temple um, and give it there as an offering. 
And as they do it, they recognize that this is what the Lord has given them. They remember that they have this because their God is a generous, giving God. It's because of him that they have this rich, fertile land to enjoy and the fruits that come from it. Uh, And even there, to use this opportunity to remember even more that God has done for them, even their their whole um, history and story as a people of what God has done done for them. Uh, So we see the one making the offering is to recite again the story of God's faithfulness, his generosity to his people. And this goes all the way back uh, to Jacob, um, who was a wanderer who lived in tents. And we see from verse 5, And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramaean was my father. That's Jacob, that's referenced. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, And there there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders, And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So they remember the Lord's faithfulness. It's the Lord who heard their cry for help. It's the Lord who rescued them from Egypt. It's the Lord who has brought them into this place. It's the Lord who um, has given them this land, a rich and fertile land flowing with milk and honey, as it reads. They need to remember that everything they have is from their generous God. But it's not just um, an, an intellectual or, or rote, uh, rote learning exercise. They are meant to, to rejoice, to praise and worship God for all that he's done for them and to celebrate it together. We see there from verse 10, uh, reading verse 10 and 11. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. Their response to their generous giving God is worship. Worship that is rejoicing in all the good that God has given them. Rejoicing in his goodness and faithfulness to his promises. Praising him. So it's not clear whether um, uh, this is a once-off ceremony uh, for when they first settle the land, um, or perhaps a once-off way of recognizing that God has come through on his promises and generously given them this rich and fertile land. Uh, but there is a hint that it might be something regular. Um, there's a hint there in the fact that it's the priest at that time, uh, as if there will be more than one time. And we know um, from previous uh, references to the Levitical system and the priestly system that the priests operated on a Um, on a roster of sorts, a cycle. Um, And so if that's the case, then this likely corresponds with the reference to first fruits. It corresponds to the day of the first fruits in Numbers chapter 28 uh, and has been referenced previously in Deuteronomy as well uh, in this sermon from Moses. It will be a regular time every year when all God's people would come together every year to remember what God has done for them and to rejoice together. 
So this is a big uh, feast and, and celebration. God's people coming together in the place God chooses to celebrate all that he's done, to rejoice in his generosity, to give back to him to give back to him out of what he's given them, to feast and to celebrate together. This is a habit, uh, a regular occurrence to help them to remember and to rejoice in their generous giving God. And this giving and generous God is our God too. It's the God that we worship. How much more then do we have reason to rejoice together uh, as God's people? When we think back to the history of God's work in us, as the Israelites were commanded to do, He has given us more than a land, although we were his enemies, separated from him because of sin, uh, without hope in the world. He sent his own son to suffer, to die for us so that we can be saved, so that we can be his people, so that we can have a sure hope. We have reason to remember all that he's done and to rejoice. Uh, and this is what Peter says in First Peter chapter 1, um, from verse 3. So follow along if you have it there. Um, it reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. We rejoice in all that our generous giving God has done and is doing for us. That's the response of of God's people. Uh, And notice where Peter locates this generous blessing from God not in physical blessings, but in an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is a generous blessing from a generous God. Peter has, uh, Peter has every reason to be sure of this hope, doesn't he? Uh, we mentioned before uh, this offering and declaration in Deuteronomy 26 being connected to the day of firstfruits. That's otherwise known and referenced elsewhere as the Feast of Weeks. You might have heard it called. Uh, if you know your Old Testament um, feast timelines, you'll know that the Feast of Weeks is called that because it occurred seven weeks after the Passover festival, literally a week of weeks, seven weeks, uh, traditionally counted from the second day of the Passover. Counting from the first day of the Passover, we get the festival uh, occurring 50 days after the Passover, which is why this festival, the, uh, the Feast of Weeks, was sometimes later referred to um, in Greek terminology, in Greek-influenced areas, as Pentecost, literally 50th. And Peter was there during that first Feast of Weeks, or, or Pentecost, after that incredible Passover when Jesus was betrayed and hung on a cross and rose again. And it strikes me that specifically during uh, the time of year when God's people were to gather together to celebrate this festival, to remember God's abundant generosity, that he would choose to give his people not just an abundant gathering of first fruits from the land, uh, but an abundant, generous pouring out of his very spirit 
um, into all those that had received the gospel of Jesus Christ and followed him. You can read about that in in Acts chapter 2. We have this same spirit in us today, friends. As followers of Christ, his spirit has been poured out on us. It is the sign and seal of that redemption that Peter speaks of. And his spirit is present in us, whether we feel him there or not. And so we rejoice by remembering all that God's done for us in Christ, uh, through his spirit. And we rejoice in the fact that God's abundant generosity is present in our lives right now, in his very spirit poured out on us. We rejoice together when we sing God's praises together and pray together and hear from his word. We rejoice on our own, thanking God through the week and living with joy as his people. That's our fitting response to this generous, giving God of ours, to rejoice. Uh, often we don't feel like rejoicing, though, do we? We, we face struggles, uh, we face suffering, we face trouble. Others may treat us badly uh, or, or unfairly or unjustly. Some of us um, might struggle with depression, anxiety. We get stressed and tired and we lose sight of all that God has done for us. Peter um, is still realistic about this, isn't he? We are grieved by various trials. Uh, but even then we rejoice in all that God has done for us. It does not change um, the truth of his uh, generosity. And so going back to Deuteronomy chapter 26, in this simple practical habit, Moses calls God's people... Um, sorry, this, this practical habit points us uh, to how we are to remember and to rejoice We need to regularly remember together what God has done, recognise all that he's given us and rejoice together in what he's done. Uh, And this means calling to mind the story of God's generosity to us, doesn't it? Remembering the gospel is what we do every week. This means regularly recognising all that he has given us. Uh, And this means that we can't do this on our own. This is not up up to us to... to, um, uh, to muster up some special uh, rejoicing energy. We need, uh, we need each other. We need to regularly come together to rejoice and remember, to enjoy and to, to declare to each other this abundant generosity of our giving God. And as we do this, it is right that we also obey our generous God, which takes us um, to our next point, uh, looking at verses 12 to 15. So because... Uh, As God's people, we get to enjoy and declare the abundant generosity of our giving God. Uh, We can can worship him and we can obey him. So looking at verses 12 to 15, uh, Moses gives the people another regular practice, which is to remind them of this response to the giving God. This time it happens every three years when they give their tithe to those in the land who are needy. So reading uh, verses 12 and 13. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house. And moreover, I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, according to all your commandment that you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. 
Every three years, God's people are to make an oath before the Lord that they have remembered and obeyed all the Lord's commandments. It's a bit like uh, appearing before the court, isn't it, to make a a statutory declaration every three years that you haven't broken the law. Swearing on the Bible before the whole court that you have done what is right, except that this is not before a human court. It's not before a mere human judge. It is before the Lord. It is before the generous God, the one who saved them out of Egypt, who rules over all the heavens and all the earth. Notice though that this oath doesn't um, make them into God's people. They don't have to swear this in order to receive the land that God is giving them. They have already received it. God has already generously given it to them. This is their response to their generous God the God who has saved them to be his people because of his gracious promises. Because they are his people, they obey all that he has commanded. In fact, all these things are for their good. These laws are from the generous God. He's not uh, a miser trying to, um, to spoil their fun. He wants what is good for his people. After all, he created them. He crafted them in his image. So his commandments lead to blessing. They lead to the truly good life. And that's what God um, has continued to promise and what he's promised here. And we'll see it it in our our next sermon as well. If they keep God's commands, they will be blessed, the Israelites. God will give them a rich and good life in the land, a life together as God's people in relationship with the giving God. But if they don't keep God's commandments, then they will face God's curse. Their land won't be fruitful, it won't be fertile, they will get sick and be defeated by their enemies, and ultimately they will be carted out of their land by foreign nations, carried into exile. It will be the great undoing of the great rescue of the Exodus. So part of declaring before God that they have kept his commands is asking him to bless them. We see in verse 15, uh, I'll read, Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the ground that you have given us as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. And again, this is linked to the Lord's generosity to them. He has given them this land, so they ask for his blessing upon it. They recognize his goodness their dependence on him, and in light of their obedience, they ask for his blessing. Again, this is the response of God's people to the the giving, generous God. And yet, as we've seen time and time again, uh, God's people have failed to obey God's commands, haven't they? We've seen throughout um, this series, looking through Deuteronomy, they've turned away from him, they've worshipped other gods, they used and abused each other rather than loving one another, Their leaders failed and turned away from God. They failed to keep God's commands. So just as God said would happen, they faced the curse. Eventually, they were conquered by enemy nations and dragged off into exile. By God's grace, um, he wasn't finished with them yet. In fact, he restored them to to their land, but the problem of sin, the problem of this disobedience wasn't dealt with yet. And that's why we need Jesus, isn't it? We need someone to deal with the curse of sin. God's people kept choosing sin, and that's the inclination of their hearts. Unless God changes our hearts, that's the inclination of our hearts too. 
But Jesus comes, God's own son. He keeps God's law perfectly, obeys all the commands perfectly, and yet suffers and dies the death that we deserve so that through faith in him we might have forgiveness, so that we might be given new hearts, hearts with God's law written on them, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live for the generous Lord. And this generous grace also trains and empowers us to live differently as his people, uh, to respond to our giving God by by obeying him. And we read um, about that in Titus chapter 2. I'll read uh, from verse 11 to, to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all the people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Once again, it's God's generous, abundant grace to us in Jesus who gave himself for us that trains us to live in a way that honours him. It's grace that changes us so that we can obey him as his people. This response of obedience is our response too, but we are given grace to obey in a way uh, that God's people in Deuteronomy didn't have. And this doesn't mean that we'll be perfect, we know that, We've experienced it for ourselves, but God is working in us to grow us to be more like Jesus. And we can respond to our giving God by growing in this obedience, a people zealous for good works, a people who don't mess about with sin, but genuinely seek to grow to be more like Jesus. Even in this, we see God's generosity towards us, don't we? And we see the how in these verses in Titus. Paul doesn't say it's through trying harder. It's through the gospel. It's through uh, the grace of God in Jesus that gives us salvation and trains us to renounce ungodliness and live self-controlled lives. The answer isn't just to pull up your bootstraps or to try harder, but it's to keep going back to God's generous grace to us in Jesus. So if you want to grow in obedience, keep looking to Jesus. Because of God's generous grace in Christ, we can learn to obey God and live how he has created and called us to live. And because we can enjoy and declare the abundant generosity of a giving God, we can belong to him uh, living as his people as well. One sec. Because we can enjoy and declare the abundant generosity of a giving God, we get to belong to him um, as his people, which leads us to our last few verses, uh, 16 to 19. In these last few verses of this chapter, Moses doesn't give the people another command as such, but he reminds them once again of God's generosity uh, to them. He reminds them of the covenant that they've made with the Lord. Uh, a covenant which we've gone through in earlier parts of Deuteronomy. It's a formal relationship. It involves promises and commitment. It's, it's more than a contract. Um, it's not quite as, as, as cold or clinical or as businessy as that. Um, and, of course, our modern-day um, comparison is typically marriage, um, where the husband and wife make promises to one another. 
This includes a legal contract for sure. They sign on the dotted line, um, but it's much more than just that legal contract. It's a relationship of genuine love and commitment. And the Lord has made a covenant with the people. After he rescued them out of Egypt to be his people, led them into the wilderness, provided for their needs, he came down to meet with them at Mount Sinai. He promised that he would be their God and that they would be his people. He promised to be faithful to them. And they promised to obey all that he commanded. They made a covenant together. Even this is an incredible moment. God did not have to do this. Out of his abundant generosity, he binds himself to a formal relationship with this people that he has saved. And Moses reminds, reminds them of that covenant, uh, reading from verse uh, 16 to 19. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. So this is their end of the deal, their commitment in the covenant, to live as God's people in relationship with him. It means they're being careful to keep all of God's commands, not just outwardly, but from the inside out, with all of their heart and with all of their soul. They have made this commitment that he is their God so that they, uh, so they must live as his people. But notice God's end of the covenant. He is the generous giving God from verse 18. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession as he has promised you and, and that you are to keep all his commandments and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honour high above all nations that he has made and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he promised. Look at everything God promises to his people. They are his treasured possession. He is not a grudging God. He doesn't just put up with them. They are precious to him, treasured. They belong to him. He is generous and giving. And if they keep his commands, he will bless them. He'll set them in praise and fame and honour. They will be holy to the Lord, a people set apart from evil and, and set apart from sin to be his treasured people. They are a people who belong to the Lord, who live in a covenant relationship with him. So they should live like that. They should live like his people in holiness and obedience. Did you catch some similar words in the passage uh, in Titus that we looked through before? You can look again at verses 13 and 14 if you have it there. Uh, I'll I'll read it for us. Uh, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works." So this same generous giving God is our God too. He has saved us through his son, Jesus, saved us to be his people, a people for his possession. Like Israel was his treasured possession, we too belong to him. We too are precious. The blood of Jesus, God's own son, was spilled for us. 
and we are purified to live for him, to be a people for his possession. We're not under the old covenant of Deuteronomy, but we are God's people, purchased through the death of his own son, forgiven through faith in him, saved to live as his people in obedience and in good works, his treasured possession. You are his treasured possession. Our blessing doesn't depend on our performance uh, because Jesus has already lived in perfect obedience, but as those saved in him, as those who who have received the abundant generosity of our God, we can now belong to him and live as his people. So in wrapping up, there's, there's no one more generous and giving than our God. The same God who saved his people from Egypt and gave them his land. Our God who even gave his own son for us, who has given us his Holy Spirit to change us to be more like Christ. And he works in us to purify us as his people until the day Jesus returns and we live with him forever. I asked at the start if you would say that God has been generous to you. We've seen in this chapter that even even through the work of God in a people thousands of years ago, that as God's people, we get to enjoy and declare the abundant generosity of a giving God. God is abundantly generous to us. And because of this, we can respond in worship and in obedience to him, living as his treasured possession. We have a generous, giving God, so let's live as his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are generous. You have lavished your grace upon us beyond what we can, uh, what we can imagine, what we can comprehend even, but we know uh, that through uh, the work of Christ, through his uh, sacrifice and life, through his death uh, and resurrection, that you have been abundantly generous to us. We know that we uh, also sometimes to, uh, we, we fail to remember that we forget of your generosity to us. We look more to our own um, worldly circumstances than to the truth of um, your, your blessings for us, your generosity for us. Help us to bring those things before you. Help us to bring um, those ways in which we are, uh, we are waiting for you or we seek your, your guidance and timing um, with, with various things. Pray that you would help us not to, not to just try and push those things away, but to bring them before you as our generous giving God. Uh, And we know that you have promised to to give us good things that you have promised and that you do uh, love us, that you work in us and through us, and that you do all things, uh, uh, yeah, you do all things according to your abundant generosity. Uh, We thank you and we praise you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.